You're listening to audio from Hardin Baptist Church. For more audio content or other information about our church, please visit hardinbaptist.org. I know everybody's got good and comfortable. We let you do this for a reason. is because right now as we get ready to stand, we're all going to turn our attention to God's Word. You know this, I know this, you're not here to hear what I have to say. You're here to hear what God has to say to us through his word. And I thank you for the privilege that I have of getting to be one of the preaching pastors here at Harden. So let's stand together, open our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be looking at just two verses this morning. But you're going to have to buckle your seatbelt because it's going to take all 45 minutes and 30 seconds for us to get through this this morning. Everybody ready? Listen to what God's word says. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Father, you've done anointed once and we're going to ask you to do it again here for this service. Thank you for each one who's gathered here in person and online. Father, it just blows us away the influence your word has. Not just here in Hardin, but literally in far, far, far places this morning. And we thank you that we're a part of this. Father, it's the first day of a brand new week and we're so excited. Gathering here to worship you, but in our worship, we want to hear from you. And Father, you know, we believe you've laid this upon our hearts, our minds. We're going to do an intensive study of 1 Peter. So now we're asking for you not to let me be a speaker only. And do not let any of us be hearers only, but we desire to be doers of your word. Not not just here in a worship service, but when we go to that restaurant, when we go back to work, when that person comes into our life who just, ooh, they're difficult to deal with. Father, that's when it counts. It's Father this morning. We're believing that a study of 1 Peter is going to help us stand firm in a fallen world. Do what only you can do now, and that's make this real, make this life-changing. Nobody come to hear a speech from me. We come to hear your word. Help me interpret it correctly and make proper application, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I I just want to say right off bat, I like the way the ancients wrote letters better than the way we write letters. Have any of you ever went to the mailbox, got a letter from someone, had your name on it, but there was no return address? Now, let's say you open that letter and it's a three-page letter. Immediately, you know it's to you. But do any of you do what I do? 
You don't read the three pages of the letter. You immediately, once you know it's to you, you turn to the last page, look at the bottom of the third page and see who it's from. Agreed? Because now let's be honest. Who that letter's from is going to change the attitude many times we're going to have as we read this letter. There's letters I get, depending on who it's from, that, man, I just can't wait to see what you've got to say to me. And then sometimes it's like, oh, no. I brace myself. Don't read it immediately because I'm thinking this is not going to be good. Not how biblical letters work. If you received a biblical letter, in the beginning it told you who it was from. Then they put your name second. Then they greeted you. Then told you what they wanted to tell you in the letter. We have who it's to, a greeting. Dear Chad, how you doing? And then we have the body, and then at the end we say our name. So here's what we know. It's from Peter. Now Peter's going to give us a short description of who he is And this is going to be the basis on why we should listen to him in what he's fixing to say. Peter is an apostle of Jesus Christ. You remember Jesus called disciples. And then from those disciples, he chose 12. And he spent a lot of time with the 12. He personally trained them. He told them that when he went away, it was actually going to be to their advantage because the Holy Spirit was going to come and the Holy Spirit was going to teach them and remind them of everything that he said. And then they were with him when he died on that cross. They visited the tomb. They saw him ascend back to his father's right hand side. And they waited for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Wow. So Peter's writing to a group of people reminding them that he is Jesus's authorized representative to say what he's fixing to say. I know you've noticed this. This is the only time in scripture, the only office of leadership that's identified as of Jesus Christ is the apostle. Not a pastor, not a teacher, not an evangelist, not a missionary. Only an apostle. So if I could say this and not offend anyone, when Jesus went back to heaven, he gave his apostles power of eternity, attorney, so that they could act on his behalf in his absence. And whatever they said, whatever they did, they were representing him. So getting this letter from Peter is just like receiving a letter from Jesus. Now, when I read Peter before I even read an apostle, I think of something else. I think of the guy who denied Jesus three times. How about you? I think of the guy who opened his mouth when he should have been quiet and Jesus had to say to him, get behind me, Satan. For what's coming out of your mouth is the thinking of man. It's not the thinking of God. I think of Peter 
on the mountain with Jesus, that holy moment, Moses and Elijah appeared, and all of a sudden Jesus' earthly body can no longer hide his deity, and his deity begins to shine through that earthly body. And instead of falling down and worshiping Jesus, what does he do? He wants to enter a building program and build a tabernacle for each one. And God the Father has to say, shut up. Do you not know who this is? This is my son. Listen to him. Wow. Now let's give him a little credit. He walked on the water. I know you're saying, I know he took his eyes off Jesus and started to sink and he prayed, save me, and the Lord did. But he had enough faith to get out of the boat. Amen? And remember that one time when he got it right, there was at Caesarea Philippi and all of those pagan idols in the background and Jesus says, but who do you say I am? And this time he got it right. He said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And then remember what he said to him? You're Peter, stone, pebble, but on this rock, I'm gonna build my ecclesia, my church. And the gates of Hades shall not stop it, shall not prevail against it. And then he looked at Peter and says, and I give to you, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind down here is going to be bound up there. And whatever you loose down here is going to be loosed up there. With these keys, you're going to make an eternal difference in people's lives. Have you ever thought about this? Have you ever given your keys to someone to your car or to your house? Can you imagine Jesus giving to Peter the keys of the kingdom of God? Can I remind you that that guy who denied him three times after the resurrection and in the presence of Jesus, declared his love three times and was elected to be the keynote speaker on the day of Pentecost. And when the dust settled on that day, 3,000 souls saved and baptized and added to the church. Wow. When the gospel went down to Samaria, who was it that went to verify if this was really a work of God? John and Peter. And when Peter laid hands on them, they received the Holy Spirit. Who was it that God showed the sheet from heaven and chose him to be the messenger to go to the house of Cornelius and open the door of salvation to the Gentiles? It was Peter. And he's writing a letter. Now, I want to be totally honest with you. I'm going to enjoy this. You're going to enjoy this because Peter's more like us. Amen. Sometimes we can't identify with Paul. He was that Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was that Pharisee. He was that scholar. He used words that we don't sometimes understand, but not Peter. He's just no fisherman. <laughs> yeah, just a fisherman. Called to be a fisher of men. I love this. Can you imagine this, the nature of Peter to be a fisherman? You know, he come home, went home, wife asked how big the fish was, and it was really like this, and he said it was like this. You know how fishermen are, right? They exaggerate a lot. And yet now, under the leadership of God's Holy Spirit, Peter, no exaggeration, is going to speak on behalf of Jesus. And what he tells us, you can trust it. Because he's being superseded by the Holy Spirit of God as he writes this letter.
So can I just say this? You're not going to be listening to Brother Ricky and Brother Corey. And you're not going to be listening to Peter. Hopefully you're going to be listening to the very words of Jesus. Who's this written to? Elect exiles of the dispersion. And then he lists Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Bithynia, and Asia. Now I want to make sure you know where this is on the map. So we're going to show you a modern map. This is the Mediterranean Sea, and you know that everything north of the Mediterranean Sea, though, that's what we call Europe, and then what's south of the Mediterranean Sea, that's what we call Africa. Now, if you look over here to the very eastern part of the Mediterranean Sea, you see Israel down in the southeast corner, and then above Israel, you see Lebanon and you see Syria. Now, you see this region right above called Turkey that's below the Black Sea? See that part called Turkey? That's this region. So this region of the world is what we call modern-day Turkey. Now, you know Turkey and the Black Sea is in the news a lot now because if you go north of the Black Sea, you see that peninsula there, and you know that's Ukraine. If you go to the east, that's Russia. If you come back to the west, that's Moldova, Romania, Bulgaria, and Greece. And there's a lot of attention because of what's going on in this part of the world right now. So please understand, Peter's writing to exiles who are scattered throughout this part of the Roman Empire. This would have been the southeast corner of the Roman Empire at this time. Now notice how he identifies the group he's writing to. He identifies them with the word exile. The word exile is an interesting word. It's a word that's literally a compound word, and it means this. It means to be alongside a people who are not your people. That's what it means to be an exile. It means to be living alongside a group of people, but the group of people you're living alongside aren't your people. They're not native to you. Their cultures are different. Their ways are different. They're not your people. Now, now this word for dispersion talks about the scattering of these exiles. Now, being raised in the church and being people of the Old Testament, we understand there was a time when God dispersed Israel, made them exiles because of their sin against him, and he dispersed them throughout the known world at that time under the exile plan of the Assyrians. And because of that, there's a lot of people who believe Peter being an apostle to the Jews is actually writing to Jewish people who are scattered in this part of the world that are a remnant of the Old Testament people. Other scholars, when you read the book, you begin to understand that, no, this book doesn't just have a Jewish identity, it has a Gentile identity. And therefore, there are Gentiles who are living this part of the Roman Empire, and Peter is identifying them now as exiles. They're not there because of sin necessarily. They could be there because of the persecution that arose in Acts chapter 8, or they could be living there by choice. But here's what he wants this group of people to know who are believers, most likely Jewish and Gentile believers, but primarily Gentile believers. Here's what he wants them to know. You are not at home. You're in exile. You're in exile. 
Now, I don't know what you believe. Here's what I believe. I believe Holy Spirit led Peter to write this letter to this group of people. But the Holy Spirit didn't just intend for it to be to this group of people. He also intended it to be for you and me as well. And so now we're going to see the modern picture, a bigger picture. God has believers who aren't just scattered in modern day Turkey. He has believers who are scattered all over the world. Jewish believers and Gentile believers. And we're the church because God fulfilled his purpose to Abraham and sent the Messiah. And when the Messiah came, he didn't come just to save Jews. He came to save Gentiles, but not just save Gentiles and make us the servants of the Jews and them sit at the table and us serve them. No. He broke down that racial distinction. He broke down that hostility between Jews and Gentiles because intention of putting Jesus on a cross was to redeem a people from Jews and from Gentiles and create a new body. And the new body is not a nation called Israel. It's a body called the church. And now the church, you and I, are scattered all over the world. And we just have to happen to live in this region of the world. And here's what God wants us to understand. We are not at home here. We're exiles. Now, I want to be totally honest with you, this is very hard for us because we live in the United States of America and we believe we live in what used to be called the Bible Belt of America and we believe that our nation was founded by people who sought God and therefore God has blessed this nation and therefore we have a home worth fighting for. And this is our home. And we're the protectors of this land. And we're the protectors of this nation. We're going to struggle with this letter. Because this letter is going to remind us, "Mm -mm. this isn't home. And when your heart turns to home, when you travel somewhere, your heart shouldn't turn back to Dexter or Hardin or Murray or Benton or Olive or Fardalen or curtsy, or ammo. I know some of you come from southern Illinois and you come from down in Tennessee. When our heart turns, our heart turns home, it turns to heaven. We are a citizen of heaven. Yes, we have dual citizenship. We have an earthly citizenship here. But this isn't home. And I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but if you just would stop and look around, if we're living out faith in Christ, we are not living among people like us. The majority is not like us. You see that at work. You see that at family events. You see that at ball games. You see that at school events. So Peter's writing on behalf of Jesus to remind us of who we really are in our very nature, and that's we're exiles. And we need to see ourselves as scattered throughout this world in which we live, and we're scattered for a purpose. And the overall message of this book is going to be he wants us as an exile to stand firm 
in the fallen world in which we live. But notice this. Peter doesn't just call us exiles. He calls us elect exiles. I just want you to let that register for just a moment. Those two words, elect exiles. It's almost a contradiction. Because see, to be an exile means you live with a group of people who are not your people. And as you live a distinct life from them, pretty soon you're going to realize you're going to be rejected most likely. And on the other hand, see on this hand, we're in a group of people, but we're not like the group of people that we're with. But then on this hand, he's not using a word that conveys rejection. He uses a word that means to be chosen, to be selected. Wow. Now, you know what this word basically means? This word basically means you got a group of things or you got a group of people and the chooser makes a selection. And the ones that he selects or she selects, once they've been selected, they now take the name chosen, elected, selected. So here's what Peter's saying. He's writing to the chosen exiles. He's writing to the selected exiles. He's writing to the elect exiles. He's not just writing to exiles. Because there would have been a lot of people in modern Turkey who would identified as an exile. But that's not who he's writing to. Among those exiles, he's writing to a group. And this group that he's writing to is elect. They're chosen. Now, I'm going to give you the title of the message. It's coming not quite halfway into the sermon. Here's why the sermon title is coming here. I left home this morning and did not have a title. Scott kind of knows when I'm heading to church on Sunday morning and he tries to text me before I actually leave so that he doesn't cause me to text and drive. He would not want to do that. Now I try not to do that. He sent me the Text, title, question mark. Don't have one. And I wrestled all the way to church. Because here's what I want y'all to know about my titles. I never try to be cute in a title. I want the title to the message to convey in as short a words as possible the very essence of the message. So that if you can just remember the title, you remember the essence of the message. Now, I'm not going to tell you what I really wanted to call this. But I'm going to tell you what my second title was. Here it is. Our identity. What we need to know about why we are who we are. Peter doesn't just say, hey, you elect exiles. And then give them a greeting and then go into the body of the message. Uh Uh-uh. 
Identity is so important to Peter that he's now going to tell them what they need to know about why they are who they are. So what we're going to do now is to give you the foundation, to give you the very basis of your identity as an elect exile. Now, I'm going to be as careful as I can to stick to the text. I want to say this. To be a Christian, you don't have to interpret this the way I interpret this. If you want to be wrong, you can be wrong. It will not affect your salvation. But I can't do what many do. And I surfed the internet a lot last night. And I'd read a sermon that would talk about verse one and then to go to verse three and it would completely leave out verse two except grace and peace be multiplied to you. I can't do that. This church, I know the last 40 years has decided we were gonna preach through books of the Bible chapter by chapter, paragraph by paragraph, verse by verse, sentence by sentence, phrase by phrase, word for word. We are not gonna be a church where you come to hear what your pastor thinks. To the best of our ability, we're gonna labor the teaching side of this church to base everything we say and believe on God's word. And because of that, I can't lighten this at all. I can't serve you a grapefruit this morning. Can't serve you frosted flakes or Cheerios with a little banana sliced. It's gonna be ham, country ham, bacon, eggs, sausage, hash browns, hopefully a grapefruit. I love bananas. Because listen to what Peter believes. He believes you knowing the basis of your identity is important. And you know my heart, I believe in identity. For so many years, I was deceived into believing that I was just an old sinner saved by the grace of God. And ultimately, when I sinned, it was okay for me to sin because that's just the way I am. I was a whole lot like Bobby Cunningham, who was a whole lot like Garnet Cunningham, who was a whole lot like Albert Cunningham. And there was just some traits in our family that... And praise God, there's no condemnation to those who believe in Jesus Christ. It's not the Bible. The Bible talks about a transformation that takes place when you turn from sin and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And the best way to describe you now is you are a saint of God. It is not your nature to want to sin. It's your nature to want to do right. You do not want to live according to your unreal flesh. You want to live according to the Spirit of God. The reason you want to is because in your nature, you're alive to God and dead to sin. You're not dead to God and alive to sin anymore. 
Yes, we will still sin from time to time occasionally, but when we do, it'll break our heart. It'll drive us to the cross. We'll confess, be clean, and pick ourselves up and have grace and mercy to continue on to become who God wants us to be. And so Peter's not going to just call us elect exiles. He's not even going to just call us the church. He's not going to just call us saints. He's going to tell us why this is true of us. Why we are who we are. Now this next verse, verse 2, is going to appear on the screen. This is the power of attorney for Jesus. The guy who has power of attorney from Jesus. To represent him. And here's what he says. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father... In sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling with his blood. Wow. Miss Linda's here. She was my grammar teacher at Callaway. She was one of the people who taught me how to diagram sentences. You can't make these phrases modify Peter or an apostle. It can only identify one source and that's the elect exiles who are scattered throughout what we call modern Turkey. And I think it refers to us as well who are scattered throughout the world. Here's what you need to know about why you are who you are, an elect exile. You ready? It's according to the foreknowledge of God. Peter does not trace this back to a moment in your life where you did something for God. He traces this back to God and his foreknowledge. I just want you to let that register. You are who you are, not because of what you did for God, but because of what God did for you. And most of the time in our churches, we go back to the cross. Peter goes further than the cross. He goes back to the foreknowledge of God. Paul does the same thing. I'm amazed that if you read Ephesians 1-3, Paul's going to say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Next week when we get to verse 3, Peter's going to say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in Ephesians 1-3, starting with verse 4, Paul's going to talk about our salvation and the work of God the Father, the work of God the Son, and the work of God the Holy Spirit, and how God's work for our salvation is to the praise of the glory of his grace. And he's to be blessed. Peter talks about our identity being based on 
the work of the Father, the work of the Spirit, and the work of the Son. And then he says, blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's what I want to say. Don't you miss what Peter's saying here. And don't you leave here today mad at God or angry at God or questioning God. Because the person who's representing Jesus who is writing this says next, after what he just says, blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that after we hear what we're hearing in the next 13 minutes and 48 seconds is going to cause us to bless God. Why am I an elect exile? Why are you an elect exile? It's according to the foreknowledge of God. Now, I want to say this. We'll be clear as I can be and as brief as I can be. So no one misunderstands. There is a side of the church, and you may be in this side, that wants to identify foreknowledge as God having the ability with his knowledge to look down into the corridor of time and see everyone who was going to hear the gospel and believe the gospel, and then he made a choice of those people to elect them based on their faith in Jesus Christ. That's not true. And that's not what this means. Now, I want to be clear. Does God have the ability? Yes, he has the ability to look down in the corridor of time. God being God sees all things from his perspective. (laughs) Past, present, amen? But let me just tell you what would happen based on scripture. If God looked down into time and saw people, sinners, Here's what he'd say. They're spiritually dead in sin. First Corinthians 2 teaches that natural man can't receive the things of God, spirit of God. Doesn't have the ability. Paul said... How many righteous are there? None. How many understand? None. How many of them seek God? None. How many fall short? All. So I want to be crystal clear here. If you make this be God looking down the quarter of time, here's what God sees. Nobody comes to faith in Jesus. Nobody. And yes, God knew that. But that's not what this is talking about. No is used in the Bible not just to express facts about things or facts about people. But it's used to express intimate knowledge of. Covenant relationship with. For example, Amos chapter 3 verse 2. 
Here's what God says to the nation of Israel. You only have I known of all the families on the earth, therefore I will punish you for all your iniquities. How many of you believe this means of all the nations, the only nation God knew anything about and what they were doing was the nation of Israel? Do any of you believe God did not know what the Gentiles were doing? No. That's not what that means. What does it mean? You had all these nations on the earth and there was only one nation that God had an intimate relationship with, and that was the nation of Israel. And because of his covenant with them, he saw their sin, and because he was their father and he was in a covenant relationship with them, he decided, you know what? I'm going to punish you for all your iniquities. Why? Because I got an intimate relationship with you. Everybody agree that's what this is talking about? Why was God not punishing the Gentile nation? He didn't have a covenant relationship with them. Just Israel. Only family. Old Testament, he had a relationship with. Now, let's take it back to Genesis 4.1. I love this. Now, Adam knew his wife. She had red hair, freckles. She weighed 98 pounds, and she was 4 foot 10 inches tall. No, no, no. Adam knew his wife and what? What? She conceived. This word know is being used to talk about intimacy, a relationship, a personal relationship with. And here's what I believe the New Testament teaches. You can disagree with this, but here's what I believe the New Testament teaches. Our identity is based on God before the foundation of the world, having an intimate relationship with you and I. And he set his covenant love upon us. He knew when he created us, we would sin. He knew the state of depravity that would come upon us. And yet when he looked at us as sinners, he made a choice of us. And that's why we are who we are. Paul said it this way. He was also writing to a group of people who were suffering. Peter's writing to a group of people who are going to suffer. Therefore, our theme is going to be stand firm in a fallen world. Paul says this, all things work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Amen. How many of you love that verse? Amen. How many of you just love to camp out, start a fire, and think about that verse from time to time? Wow, all things work together for good. I love God. Amen. That promise is not to the whole world. It's just to one group of people. Those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. If you love God, it's because you're called according to his purpose. Paul did not let you think you love God because of anything rooted in you. Paul, make sure you understand the reason you love God is because you've been called according to God's purpose. Now, why does all things work together for good? The next verse tells us, for those whom he foreknew, those whom he had set his covenant relationship on before the foundation of the world, those whom he had chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, the book of Revelation says, before the foundation of the world. He also predestined. So those he set his covenant love upon, he predestined that we would be conformed to the image of his son so that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. I love this. I know it's an old illustration, but it's the picture 
of Granny Bogard's table and all of the family trying to get around that table and Granddaddy Bogard sitting at the head of the table. Nobody sat at the head of the table but Granddaddy Bogard. But man, there was a big family. In heaven, do you know who's going to sit at the head of the table? Jesus. And the table's going to be full of brothers who are just like Jesus because God set his covenant love upon a group of sinners and determined they were going to be like Christ before he ever created the world. And those people that he blueprinted to be like Christ, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Wow. We could turn to Romans chapter 9. If we started in Romans chapter 9... There was two boys in the belly of their mama and they had done nothing good or evil, Paul said. And God made a sovereign choice to love one and reject the other. Why? So that the purpose of God according to election, not human will or human exertion, but God's purpose of election, God's purpose of choosing, God's love and choice of setting his covenant love upon people. And then we fast forward to two other people. Not in the womb, but men. One Moses, one Pharaoh. And God chose to be merciful to Moses, and he chose to harden Pharaoh's heart. Why? Because of his will. Now, I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say this. There's just some things you can say when you've been here a long time and you're 62 years of age. I would love to change the name of Hardin Baptist Church. Because can I tell you what name I think really captures what we really believe according to the Bible? Here's what I'd like for it to be. Hardin Baptist Church, a free will Baptist church. Yeah. I'd like to take our two vans and put Hardin Baptist Church, a free will Baptist church. I'd love to get a big old sign and put it out on the four lane that says Hardin Baptist Church, a free will Baptist church. I can't do that because it'd be misunderstood. But you would know what I'm talking about, Right? We believe salvation is rooted in the free will of God. Now, can I ask you a question? Do you want it anywhere else? I'm going to ask you this question. Those of you who have free choice... How many of you make the right choice every time? Still show of hands. How many of you do it most of the time? Show of right hand. Okay, couple. That's not good odds. Any of you raising any kids? How they doing? I mean, don't say they're sitting beside you. (laughs) But not good. So can I ask you this question? Why are we fighting against God's word? 
and wanting to root salvation in the free choice of man rather than being where it is in the free will of God. Can God who is holy, holy, holy ever make a wrong decision? Can he ever make a wrong choice? Can he? No. His choice of you isn't rooted in you and you being better than somebody else. His choice is rooted in him. And this ought to humble you. And it ought to make you bless him who is the father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In sanctification of the Spirit, a minute 40. This isn't talking about sanctification to where we become a believer and then God moves us further and further away from the image of Adam and more and more into him of Jesus. That is a work of the Holy Spirit in your life as a believer. But this refers to the initial act of salvation. God the Father made a choice of you and in making a choice of you, he sent his Holy Spirit into your life as a dead sinner, separated from him, selfish. And you know what he did? He convicted you of being a sinner and he convicted you. He made you aware of the only way to be made right is by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And then he told you about the judgment that he had already judged Satan in this world and judgment's already taken place. And now you can be free from his judgment and you can be righteous with God by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And because of the Holy Spirit setting you apart, making you holy, you are who you are. Praise God, he didn't leave us in sin. Praise God, he didn't give us what we deserve, and that's justice. Praise God, he loved us enough to step into our life, not with a general call of the gospel, with an effectual call that accomplished God's purpose in your life, and he brought you to faith in Jesus. For me, it was March 24, 1974. And you know when it happened to you. Why? For obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling with his blood. Six seconds. This isn't works-based salvation. Here's why God chose you. Here's why God unleashed the Holy Spirit on you. It's so that you'd come to faith in Jesus. In Romans chapter 1, verse 5. Paul says, the very reason God called me to be apostle is to bring about the obedience of faith among the nations. And when he closes his letter, he talks about, again, what God did in sending Jesus to bring the nations to the obedience of faith. Listen to me. A group of people asked Jesus, what must we do to work the works of God? And Jesus said, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. Does anybody remember the message of Jesus? Repent. Repent. You can't turn without trusting. So you know what it means to obey Jesus? It means to turn from self and trust Jesus. And when you do that, you've done what he wants you to do. Quit trusting in you and totally trusting in what he did on the cross to make you who you are in your identity.
and so you'll be sprinkled with the blood. This is not referring to baptism. We're not going to debate Methodist with sprinkling immersion. We're not going to do that. This is a reference back to the first covenant. In the first covenant, Moses went up on the mountain, got the law, came back down, gave it to the people. They had a blood sacrifice. They had a bowl full of blood. And all the people said, hey, we'll do what God said. And when they said, we'll do what God said, that meant they were accepting being part of God's covenant people. And then Moses took that blood in those bowls and he just poured it, sprinkled it all over the people. And when those people received that blood, they knew they were part of God's covenant people. Listen to this. God chose you before the foundation of the world. Sent the Holy Spirit into your life personally to call you out of sin to faith in Jesus. And when you put your faith in Jesus, you know what God did? He sprinkled you with the blood of the new covenant. You are a covenant person. You're part of the covenant people of God. And therefore we live in this world. But as we live in this world, we suddenly realize I'm not like these people. We don't do holy huddles. We don't retreat. We recognize this is who we are. We're exiles. We live in this group of people, but we never become like this group of people because we're part of the covenant people of God. And when you know that, you'll stand firm as the world continues to fall all around us. It's not going to get any better. It's only going to get worse. And this is going to be the moment. God's got us here for a reason. And that's to demonstrate we're in exile. And bring on and glory to him. Father... We didn't get to talk about grace and peace. But Peter didn't just want it to be added. The time was going to get so difficult that he wanted to be multiplied. Multiplied to us who've heard this message. Grace, your enabling ability. And peace. So that when war is breaking out all around us. In precious relationships that we have. Let us be at peace. And let us remember who we are. We're in exile. Our choice of you was because of your choice of us. And it's in your precious son's name we thank you for this foundational truth of our very identity. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You're listening to audio from Hardin Baptist Church. For more audio content or other information about our church, please visit hardenbaptist.org.